Well, we come this morning to continue our study in the God of all comforts. God is determined to save His people by the sacrifice of Jesus in our place and for our crimes laid upon Him. God cannot lie and will not change His immutable counsel, nor will He lie about His promises to save His people. Hebrews assures us that we have a strong consolation and comfort in God's unchangeable counsel and promises. But the strongest consolation is this, that God has sworn and will not repent of His oath to Christ to make Him a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That oath entails or brings along with it a great number of things that will thus surely come to pass, including Christ's offering and His intercession for us. Hebrews draws out the implications of this oath to Christ by comparison with the Mosaic Aaronic priesthood, the superlatives of Christ's priesthood, the ways in which it differs from that of Aaron, and the way Christ certainly and surely saves all of His people when Aaron never could. Like Melchizedek, Christ is the King of righteousness, the King of peace for us unto God. He is without end or beginning, and His priesthood is forever by oath of God to Him. Melchizedek was far greater than Abraham, the writer points out, since the patriarch paid tithes to that great priest of the Most High God. And that great priest blessed Abraham. And without contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The Aaronic priest is thus subordinate to Christ as our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Mosaic law and the Aaronic priesthood could make nothing perfect, and thus there was a need for a better priesthood, not called after the order of Aaron. Furthermore, the priests of Aaron were made after a carnal commandment of the law. But Christ is made forever a priest by the power of an endless life, as God's oath to him stipulated. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The law has therefore been annulled because it is weak and unprofitable. It could never save a single soul. That is why the Jewish people could not approach unto God or enter His presence, because the animal sacrifices and the works of the law could not cleanse from unrighteousness or justify anyone. They needed a better sacrifice. They needed a better priest. Rather, we are saved by the bringing in of a better hope by the Lord Jesus, and it is in Christ and not the law or the ironic priesthood that we come nigh unto our holy God. Hebrews then repeats again God's oath to Christ that He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The consequence of this oath is astounding because of it, Jesus was made a surety of a better salvation covenant. Christ ensures the benefits of the better covenant for us. He fulfills in our place all the requirements of that covenant unto God. In His duties as our high priest, according to the oath, He is responsible to make an acceptable sacrifice unto God to take away our sins, to ensure that we obtain the benefits of God's immutable counsel and promise to save His people from their sin and grant unto them eternal life. Christ mediates that better new covenant between God and His people as our great high priest. By God's oath, Jesus is appointed our perpetual high priest to represent us 
and appropriate the promises for us and fulfill all the requirements for us of the new covenant in which God promises to remember our sins against us no more. Because of all that, we have a strong comfort and consolation in God's oath to Christ, which cannot change that He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Aaron was made a priest by the commandment of the Mosaic Law. If you remember, the Mosaic Law sets forth who the priests are going to be, what is their order of succession, what is the means by which they're consecrated, from which house and lineage they are drawn. And while there are some physical requirements of the priest, that he be not lame, that he be not impotent, etc., Nevertheless, the person who became the priest was pretty much set into motion by the law. And just like in our own country, we suddenly discover that the process of the law is not a very good way to pick the important people in our world, is it? Because the law sets up a process and you grind the crank and out comes the result and that doesn't ensure that it's going to be any good, does it? We thought it would ensure that, but it turns out it won't. The democratic process doesn't guarantee qualification or quality or success or anything. It might as well just be a hereditary king. Some people suggest we should just pick people randomly from the phone book and it would work better. But Aaron was made a priest by the commandments of the law, but Christ was made our high priest by an oath by God. Now that meant that in the case of the Lord Jesus, you see, He was specially designated. And God knew what He was doing. He knew what He was doing when He set up the Mosaic law. He knew that by doing so, it would result in a insufficient, sometimes corrupt, always mortal priesthood Why would he do that? So that there could be a contrast between the Mosaic priesthood, which was glorious, which was accompanied by all sorts of beautiful rituals and vestments and gold and temples and tabernacles and sacrifices. But that could never hold a candle to the Lord Jesus being made our high priest by an oath by God. And so in Hebrews 7 at verse 20 we read, Inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. And what is the consequence of this appointment? By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Now we use the word covenant a solemn promise between parties that places obligations on this or that party. Sometimes there are obligations on man's side and sometimes the obligations all rest with God when it comes to an oath to a covenant between God and man. But always it's God that dictates the terms of the covenant, isn't it? And the people acquiesce, don't they? Remember when... The Mosaic law was promulgated. God told them that if they would obey His law, that He would bless them. And they all readily agreed to obey His law and then promptly set about to overthrow it, didn't they? 
Because we can't fulfill our side of the bargain unless our side of the bargain is nothing. If it's all on God and not us. And in the New Covenant, that's the way it turns out, isn't it? Our comfort is this, that when God swore to Christ this oath of be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, He placed in His hands, that is in Christ's, the total responsibility to see to it that the better covenant should be carried out. In broad terms, that's what a surety is, but it has a more specific meaning, of course. How will God bring about His immutable counsel to save His loved lost people? By handing over to Christ, by solemn oath, the responsibility to fulfill, to execute, to satisfy all the requirements of the better covenant. There is a sense in which it's not unilateral. It imposes no condition or work on the Lord's people, but it does impose a great duty upon the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? When God the Father made Christ a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, He laid upon Christ and Christ readily accepted the performance of all that was required to see that the new covenant, the better covenant, was fulfilled, executed, and satisfied. To mediate that covenant, to mediate it between God and man, that is to go between to communicate in both directions between God and man, to perform all that is necessary to bring it to pass, to assure both man and God of its complete satisfaction and ultimate fulfillment, to bear the cost. That's really what the word surety means. To bear all the cost to stand good for as the priest in the place of the beneficiaries, that is, God's poor, lost people. God's oath to Christ was that Christ would stand good for the terms of this better covenant and would mediate it so that it would surely come to pass. Note well, that is, that Christ is responsible to perform the covenant, not us. He and He alone will cover the obligations of His people for whom He is priest. That's what a surety does. It's sort of like when you borrow money from the bank and somebody cosigns with you. Well, we all know what that ends up meaning. That ends up meaning they end up having to pay for it because if you had to have a cosigner or a surety, why well, then that meant your credit wasn't all that good to begin with, was it? You probably weren't going to be able to fulfill the requirements to pay off the loan. So the Lord Jesus has been made by the oath of God to Him as to priesthood. He's thereby been made a surety of a better covenant. Aaron was never the surety for the old covenant, was he? You remember the old covenant said, do this, obey the law, and live. Well, Aaron couldn't even obey the law and live himself, could he? Aaron couldn't do this and live because he needed a sacrifice for his own disobedience. He couldn't be a surety of the old covenant because he couldn't fulfill the demands of the old covenant in the place 
of the people he represented. Another way in which Christ's priesthood is far better than Aaron's is seen at verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7. And they truly, that is, the Aaronic priests, were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, the Lord Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. The Lord Jesus is not like the Aaronic priests. Those are the priests under the old covenant. They came and they were anointed and they served their term and then they died. They died. The priests died and they were replaced by other people. The old covenant promised life for obedience, but even the priests died. That's the stark reality. It was sort of like a signal, wasn't it, that this old covenant wasn't really going to save anybody, was it? It can't even save our priests. And they're there to intercede between us and God. How well is that going to work? You remember in First John it says that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, that could never be said of an Old Testament priest, could it? You didn't have a priest who could go to God and petition from his own position of perfection and righteousness, could you? Well, I know they were all sinners just like the poor people they were representing. And therefore they died. And therefore they demonstrated that they had not lived up to the requirements of the Old Covenant. You had a succession of high priests, but they all died. They could never see the matter through to completion, could they? They never got to minister in such a sense in which they could say, okay, here's this guy and he has complied with the old covenant and entered into everlasting life throughout my ministry and my priesthood. No, they just saw a succession of people dying in their sin. They could never see it through. But this man, the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, our perfect high priest, he lives forever and continues forever as our high priest. In other words, there's no hiatus in the high priesthood of Christ for His people. Why? Because He lives forever. And why is that? Because the oath is forever. The oath says He'll be a high priest forever, doesn't it? That means He will not die on us. His priesthood will be continuous and unchangeable He will see it through from start to finish and even beyond finish. Think about this. We all deal in our life with intermediaries, don't we? You don't call up the president of the Coca-Cola company and order up two cases of canned drinks, do you? No, you have to deal with the salesman. You deal with people that are way down the totem pole but there your interface, you see, with grand and glorious things as, as people consider it in this world. We all deal with intermediaries. Hopefully, if you teach at a school, you don't have to deal with the superintendent very much. You deal with your principal. And then the principal gets fired or retires or dies. And then you've got to start all over again building that relationship and hope that the new person is at least as good as the old person. And that's why it upsets us when our intermediary leaves or dies or gets fired or retires 
because our relationship is severed with the ones we have to deal with ultimately. Our sales rep, our primary care doc, our inside track into whatever system that we're having to deal with, our representative that knows us and we know him. Even in politics, this is true. We're going to lose our sheriff at the beginning of next year. Who knows who the new sheriff will be? Maybe you didn't like this sheriff, but at least you know who he was. He was a known quantity. Now he's going to be gone. Now we have to take the luck of, as we see it, the luck of the electorate as to who will replace him. So our representatives, we grow comfortable with them because we hope that they're acting on our best interests with regard to that Leviathan, the state, that has all that repressive power that can be turned against us or for us. Will the next one do better for us or do worse? But you see, our great high priest is permanent. He never changes. He never leaves. He never forsakes us. We never have to come to any other than Jesus Christ, do we? It's permanent. He is installed by an oath of God forever to be our high priest. And so this is comfort for poor sinners approaching the terror of a holy God that we have our Lord Jesus to be our intercessor, to represent us. And we know that He is satisfactory entirely before God, don't we? Because He's perfect. Because He died for us. Because He made a perfect sacrifice to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is that hope that we sink our anchor to who's inside the veil already, presenting His offering and making intercession for His people. And He'll never change. He'll never retire. He'll never be replaced. He'll never fail. And He won't be discouraged. And He loves us. And He always has. And He always will. Praise God. But Hebrews points out the main point of Christ's eternal priesthood. And here we come, unfortunately, at the end to take up yet another blasphemous heresy that crops up this week in my own personal experience. Hebrews points out the main reason of Christ's eternal priesthood, the main consequence in verse 25. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. Why? Because He is always the priest. He never changes. He sees it all the way to the end. He's not going to have a terminus date by which if it's not taken care of by then, then he'll just have to leave it on his desk for the next guy to come along and pick it up and do what, what he will. No, he's able to save us all the way to the end. For everyone who comes to God by him, look why, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So it is the permanence of the high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ by the oath of God that allows him to save us all the way to the end because by being permanent, by being the priest forever, he lives forever to make intercession for us. Now, we should have known from other places in the Scripture that the intercession of Christ for his people never stops. It never stops. Christ is our permanent interceder before God. It is His intercession, His presentation of His sacrifice unto God that satisfies 
all of our delinquencies before God. There is a cleansing by His blood. There is a robing in His righteousness. And in the Lord Jesus, we're already in heavenly places with Him. And He represents us. You see, the salvation wrought by Christ is not a one-off event. He didn't make a sacrifice, rise from the grave, and then say, well, you know, I'm finished now. Y'all can take it from here. No. His intercession for us, that is pleading for us, upholding our rights, if you will have it, under the new covenant, what we are entitled to, is not an intercession that lapses or gets dropped or fades away or comes to a terminus. Always and forever, Christ intercedes for us. That's what this verse is teaching. Wherefore, He's able to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. This intercession by Christ that is continuous and permanent is not broken by illness or death or dismissal or resignation. As the old hymn writer put it, He ever lives above for me to intercede. He lives forever to intercede for us. This brings us to the new heresy. The devil has got a cottage industry in manufacturing heresies, and there is no false teaching under the sun that the devil can't latch on to and crank the crank. The heresies are very, very ingenious in their twisting of the Scriptures. They can make the Scriptures say anything they want to. And they can deconstruct the most precious texts of the Scripture to make them say something completely different. And here is this latest heresy. Christ is no longer man and has no physical body now. After all, wasn't His one sacrifice for sin sufficient to save us? You see... They assert something that's never found in the Scripture at all, that, well, Christ had a body when He was on earth, the Incarnation. But the Incarnation was only for His earthly ministry. And that when He ascended, the body was disposed of. They never can explain exactly where to. And He no longer has a physical body now. And not only that, He's not man anymore. He is no longer the God-man. He's just God. And the verse they use is the text where it says God is spirit. Okay, So if God is spirit, then that means Jesus can't be a man. Of course, that's a non sequitur. But the crazy thing is that verse was spoken by Christ in His humanity, in His body, through His actual mouth and larynx, in the time of His ministry. So if that verse is support for the notion that God does not have a body and is not man, because it says God is spirit, then that means that at the time Jesus said it, either He was denying that He was God, because after all, God's spirit and I'm a man, or He was denying that He had a physical body. But they were sitting there looking at it. And He was speaking with a human voice. The whole thing is just the way the devil can take a text of Scripture out of context and use it to overthrow the the permanent incarnation of the Lord Jesus 
is astounding. And then to take that other text that says that by one offering He has perfected forever them that are sanctified, by which they imply that, well, what does Jesus need to intercede for us now for? He's presented the sacrifice. It took away our sin. It perfected us. We don't even need a high priest anymore. You see, they, they utterly reject the teaching of Hebrews and the oath that Hebrews relies upon. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, they would have it say, Thou art a priest until the duty of the priest is done. But that's not what it says, is it? Because the Scriptures, to the contrary, say that the duty is never complete. That we need a priest forever unto our God. So look at what it says here in Hebrews 7 at verse 25. He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So the Lord Jesus in His eternal priesthood lives forever to make intercession for us. Now you can hem and haw and fuss and buck about, well, why do we need intercession? And isn't the sacrifice of Christ good enough? And these are mysteries to be sure, but the Bible teaches it. It says so right there in plain English, doesn't it? The Lord Jesus saves us all the way through to the end because He lives forever to make intercession for us. But this idea that Christ has no body and He's no longer a man, well, then the question would be, how can He be our high priest? Because haven't we learned from the Scriptures in Hebrews so far that he would be unqualified to be our high priest were he not a man. And that's the whole point of Hebrews 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 is that the qualification of Christ to be our high priest is seen in His humanity in which He is clothed at the incarnation so that He has experienced all of our trials and sufferings. And He hasn't sinned. And therefore, He can have compassion on us because He knows personally what it is for us to be weak, fallen men. He's not fallen. He never was. But He understands the troubles and the temptations and the trials. And we went over a long discussion of what those trials were. They were worse than any trials that we go through. But that's a necessity if He's to be qualified to be our high priest. Only a man can be our high priest. Only the God-man, Christ Jesus, can be our priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And if you go down that road of saying Christ is no longer incarnate, that He no longer is a man, that He no longer has a physical body, then you overturn all the logic of the Scriptures as to why the Lord Jesus is qualified to be our high priest. And you overturn this truth that He ever lives to make intercession for us. Now in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, the 12th verse of chapter 53, you remember that Christ is exalted by God because at the end He makes intercession for the transgressors. It's not just the sacrifice that Christ made. We've repeated this over and over. But it's also the presentation of the sacrifice, the advocacy of the sacrifice, the interceding because of the sacrifice, the pleading 
of Christ, that His sacrifice is sufficient to save all of His people? But then the Apostle Paul makes it clear, doesn't he? It's not only the sacrifice of Jesus that takes away our condemnation. Look at what he says in Romans 8.34. He says, Who is he that condemneth? Where is the condemnation for the Lord's people? Who can do it? Who can condemn us? He began the chapter, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But at Romans 8.34, he says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Christ that died. Well, He was condemned then in our place, wasn't He? No one can condemn us because Christ was condemned. He died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So you see, Christ's work wasn't done when He died for us. Christ's work wasn't done when He rose again for us. Christ's work wasn't done when He was seated at the right hand of the Father for us. No, there's a continuing work of Christ. He makes intercession for us. Here's Paul's teaching that the intercession of Christ is continuous. It has no terminus. No wonder we have a strong consolation and comfort in the oath made to Christ by God. His promise of being made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek entails such great things and thereby comforts us. Our comfort is not just that Christ died for us, that He makes intercession for us now. No, that's, that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying at all. He's saying our comfort lies in the fact that by God's oath, Christ will forever make intercession for us. The Puritans used to put it that forever, now we have a man in the glory. The God-man Christ Jesus. And it is just like the devil to try to take away our comfort, our strong consolation, by attacking the humanity, and the physical body of the Lord Jesus. As if our high priest is not sitting there perfect in every way, deity of all deity, but yet man at the right hand of God to speak up for us, to make intercession for us, to represent us, to ensure that His job as surety is completed all the way to the end, not let up and not allowed to fall to the ground and not allowed to perish. So you see that we have a great comfort in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the oath that the Father made to Him to appoint Him our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And all of this promise of God, you see, tumbles like a row of dominoes into a glorious effect and consequence for our redemption, our salvation, our glorification one day in the presence of God. And so around this table, we celebrate that sacrifice that Jesus made. And can you consider that there were people, there were Jewish people who were seriously considering abandoning the Lord Jesus abandoning so great a high priest, abandoning so perfect a hope to go back to something that never saved any of them, that was broken down, 
It was broken down because of the weakness of the flesh, Paul tells us. Nobody could comply with the old covenant requirements. And the priests were broken down. And in the days that Hebrews was written, the priests were corrupt and wicked. They would go back to that. Sometimes I wonder if they weren't like those people in John chapter 12 that we read earlier this morning, that it wasn't so much that they wanted to completely deny Christ. They just didn't want to have to confess it. You know, maybe we can still trust in Jesus, but secretly in our hearts. And maybe we can still believe all of the gospel, but we can go back to the synagogue and just pretend we don't. And take back up our comfortable, cultural, religious ideas and actions so that we can be at peace with our relatives and we can be back in all those familiar rituals and we can take part in those sacrifices and all the glory of the temple and so forth. Maybe they were like the people in John 12. They secretly believed Jesus, but for fear of the Jews, they couldn't confess Him openly lest they be thrust out of the synagogue, John tells us. But you see, it's not good enough to just hide Jesus in your heart as the modern notion would put it. Because this is all our life. This is eternal life. This is our only salvation. He is our only sacrifice and our only priest. Nothing else can supersede or displace what we have in the Lord Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince these people who are thinking about going back. Well, we come to the Lord's table and we come to the symbols that He left us of His body that was broken and of His blood that was poured out by which in His own personal body and His own personal blood He made a redemption for us by paying all the price for our sin. And now He's seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Even for us here who've trusted already even for us, Christ is present in glory, interceding for us. How great a Savior and a priest we have in the Lord Jesus. I'd like to ask Brother Witten if he'd give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken. And the Scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it. And He said, Take and eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sin. Oh God, our Father, we thank You that You have in Your dear Son appointed us a lamb to be slaughtered in our place and for our crimes. And that You have found in Him a perfect high priest to appoint for eternity to be our high priest, to present the sacrifice on our behalf and to make intercession for us. And we thank You that He was obedient in all these things, still is, always will be. Help us to cry out to Him, for He is worthy, worthy of all praise and honor and glory and blessing, because He was slain and has redeemed us to God by His blood 
And here we come to celebrate that blood that He shed for our salvation. By that blood we are redeemed and our sins are forgiven and the punishment is disposed of in Christ's body and suffering and blood. Lord, thank You for the cup He left us and thank You that He thought to encourage us by these symbols that He left us. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be increased in our faith. Help us to know what they point to, the real body and the real blood of Christ that He shed for us on Calvary's tree. Thank You that He has still a body and is still a man in the glory for us and ever will be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us after they had supped that He took the cup and He blessed it and He said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in My blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of Me. The Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's stand and sing number 78 in the black book. Jesus, the very thought of Thee with sweetness fills my breast. Better far Thy face to see and in Thy presence rest. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek. To those who fall, how kind Thou art. How good to those who seek. But what to those who find? Ah, this no tongue nor pen can show the love of Jesus. What it is, none but his loved ones know. Number 78.